No, you did not just fail your perception check. You are, in fact, listening to Rollin' Bones. I am Ryan Howard, your host, and uh, this is going to be a really short intro today because this is a really important interview that I have for you. It's pretty long, so you don't really need to hear me doing another rant. Uh, what you really need to hear is what my guests, Josh Unruh and Keith Potempa of the Heroes Guild, have to say. They run an organization here in my home of Nashville, Tennessee, where they will run RPGs for kids in community centers and schools. It's really cool. What they've got going is awesome. We recorded it here in my house. It was recorded in my kitchen, so that's why the audio sounds a little bit echoey. That and I had to remove our very loud air conditioner. It'll be okay, though. You'll survive. The audio sounds fine. So, yeah, without further ado, um, I'm not going to hold forth any longer. This is uh, Josh and Keith of the Heroes Guild here on Rollin' Bones. Hey everyone, welcome to Rollin' Bones, and uh, today on the show we have uh, Josh Unruh and uh, Keith Potempa. Guys, how are we doing? Outstanding, great. Thanks for having us. Oh, no problem at all. If you notice any difference in the way that this podcast sounds, it's because this is not being recorded back in the cave in my living room. We're actually in my kitchen, and these guys are here with me, which is a rare treat indeed. Yeah. In the flesh. Yep. Not many of my guests have been in Nashville, so this is going to be really cool. I've only ever done this in the history of my podcast once. There was wow. there was one time on Digital Men where the guys I was interviewing lived just down the street. Nice. And so I got to go over there and do the podcast in person, but most of the time it's been over Skype. So yeah, this this is new for all of us. I shall I say? Well, having a conversation is not new for any of us. So right. At least we can just sit here and talk, and it should be natural, right? Well, not new for most of us. <laughs> well, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Although my wife and uh, my roommate do accuse me of being overly social. Mm. So What a sin. Absolutely. <laughs> Around here, it definitely is. <laughs> so, guys, um, as you heard at the top of the episode, these guys are part of the Heroes Guild here in Nashville. They run an after-school program where they run role-playing games for kids to teach them positive moral values. We're going to talk all about that, but first, let's do these introductory questions. I ask everybody these questions. Awesome. So first of all, Josh and Keith, how did you guys get into RPGs? Um, I was introduced to role-playing games when I was 12 years old, and my best friend's cousin came over uh, to his house for like a long weekend. I remember it was a couple days or a couple evenings of playing D&D, and he ran a module for us the first night, and uh, we uh, TPK'd the party, because we were not <laughs> playing we were not playing together. We were 12-year-old kids who were super antagonistic and, like, just <laughs> running off doing our own things. Yeah, that was the first night. The second night, I mean, I immediately was like, I want to be behind the screen. I want to be the person that knows the secrets. I want to be the person that controls the monsters. And most importantly, I want to be the person that, like, that uh, ensures that everybody has a good time. I was already kind of keen to the fact that, like, you're the person who's in control of the story and you can kind of, you can help everybody to enjoy it. And I was always kind of more of a kid who liked to bring people together and, like, have fun with each other. And, and maybe was a better host than some of my other friends who were seeing the dungeon mastering role as against the players, right? Let me ask you this before Keith answers. Was the phrase, I'm a thief, I'm supposed to steal things used? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And there was also a paladin, I recall, who fought with the thief and then got consumed by a gelatinous cube. My character was a uh, fighter named Sir Buttmunch because I was 12, because I was 12 years yeah. old. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and he died at the hands of an ogre that had a, a, like a pair of nasty, like maybe dire wolves or something. And this is a memory that's, you know, over 20 years old now. So it's, it's pretty gray, but. But it stuck with me, right? Even yeah. that first experience ever, having no idea how important D&D was going to be to me, I have vivid memories of that first night. It's powerful. Minus maybe a little uh, more circuitous, but I uh, I was big into video games and played a lot of Baldur's Gate as a kid, and so I was uh, kind of tertiarily exposed to D&D, um, and I played a lot of like Magic the Gathering at local gaming stores and whatnot. Um, and Pokemon cards and such. And I saw people at the gaming store playing D&D. Um, and this was second edition. And I was like 12 or so. Uh, actually 10 or 11. And uh, I was like really wanted to play. But they were like in their 20s, right? So they were <laughs> like, they like kept me at arm's length. Um, but I bought, uh, I bought like the player's handbook and the DMG. And I read through them and I bought this module. Um, which I just found recently, and it was pretty wild. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it, but I found it, and with like my notes for what I ran this module, right? Oh, got, like you found I, your personal copy of the yes, module. Yes, um, I don't remember the name of the module, but Jeff Grubb wrote it. Um, but yeah, uh, so I I organized a couple friends who I was like, okay, we're gonna play D and D, right? And I read through the module. I read through the entire DMG and the entire player's handbook. I was like an 11 year old kid, right? I didn't have any idea, you know, I couldn't possibly retain it all, right? Mm-hmm. But I was like, all right, I got this. And it went terribly. <laughs> I, I mean, Thacko was overcomplicated. Yeah. Like, everything was kind of convoluted. The module was well written to be like, here's how to, like, usher people into it. But it went terribly. And they and they basically didn't have a good time. Um, and I played a lot of, uh, like, in Boy Scouts, I played a lot of, like, May, um, um, World of Darkness games at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of got out of that because just the attitude uh, is, not, is not up to my, you know, it's not my jam. So eventually I just like stopped doing that and then years later after graduating uh, uh, undergrad I wanted to get back into it and so I bought that was in the 3-5 era uh, and I bought a new player's handbook and I actually found a group uh, this was in Chicago on on pen and pen and paper games.com or whatever that website mm-hmm. I feel like it still exists mm-hmm. but yeah you can like do a matchmaking thing mm-hmm. and so I literally met with some strangers and started playing D&D again and that group, like, there were some problematic people in it, and we kind of broke and splintered and, like, ended up creating our own group that played for many, you know, probably three or four years uh, actively in, in the 3-5 era. So that was, since then, this was, like, 2003 or four. Um, I've been playing weekly since then. So that was kind of, like, my rebirth mm-hmm. after a failed first attempt <laughs> as, as a kid. <laughs> I guess you guys kind of both answered my next question. Uh, the first game was second edition AD&D for both of you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think technically, yeah, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. I-, I know that that is still like second edition, but it's kind of somewhere in this weird in-between 2.5, I feel like people tend to call it. But technically, that was my... And a lot of those, I feel like they worked. They were cross-compatible with second edition, or at least they hadn't got so far away that it didn't make any sense. Um, I still had lots of second edition books and ran with those, but... Yeah, two point five. It's the artwork of the black cover yep. with like the red box around it, and the fighter who's bursting through the door, and his like hand is weirdly. Oh yeah, <laughs> totally is weird. 
some of, some of that old art is super jank. Like some yeah. of it's mm-hmm. like the Elmore no. stuff is cool, but yeah. then yeah. you get some of the stuff that's just like who did yeah who did you hire for this? The funny thing is, is that actually is a really great image, except for that one part that you're just like you mm-hmm. clearly did not actually like use a model or something for this because the human arm would not be able to do that, right? And you already answered this question, uh, Josh. Your your first character was uh, Sir Butt Munch. Um, Keith, do you remember who your first character was? Um, well, the the first game I ran was a like I ran it right. I had never even played it, but then when I when I started playing again in two thousand three, um, I was I was kind of like in an emo phase, of course. Uh, so I played two thousand three. No, yeah, no, no, no. No one listened to Corn in two thousand three. <laughs> yes. So I was playing, of course, a, an Elven Ranger. Yeah, um, yeah, of course, and uh, and he had the the GM was like doing this crazy bloodline thing from, uh, I think, Unearthed Arcana, and we got to pick our bloodlines, and I picked, like, basically, like, Spawn of Bale or something. Like, I was very, I was very broody. I was very dark. But, yeah, very high stealth and a great archer. I used, like, a crazy bow, really big bow and whatnot. But, yeah, all sneaky and... Mm -hmm. Um, I think I even forego that I, d- I did away with the animal companion in order to be like even more broody and sneaky. Some some unearthed arcana rolls, yeah, it was great. So your first character was Fritz Fuwarden. Yes, <laughs> yes. All right. So uh, for both of you, both of you have GM'd, both of you have played. Uh, describe your play style as both a GM and a player. That's hard to say. I would say that as a GM, I, I admittedly tend to run a pretty tight, a pretty tight like plot. I, I sit down, so a, a big thing for me is telling short, like, really poppy arcs mm-hmm. rather than running campaigns that just run for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So I sit down and I plan out a, se- a season of my game is typically, like, three months, 12 gotcha. episodes, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm like, something important is happening in every of those episodes, sometimes multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's more this Game of Thrones sort of mentality of, like, the time is precious, right? How many games have we uh, been a part of that have just, we've never seen the ending of them? So I try to actually write them with an arc and an ending of defeating a villain or like, de- ending the entire story is a wonderful experience that we don't get enough at, at D&D. Mm-hmm. So I would say that my, my style is, um, is, is like succinct and, and, um, high stakes. And admittedly, I, I tend to, probably kind of steer the party a little bit more in the direction that I want them to, but through uh, having a deep understanding of the character's motivations and, and like steering them with the carrot on the stick to go in the direction that I want to rather than like railroading them, right? Making it uh, their choice to go in the direction that I want them to rather than forcing them to go in that direction, right? Yep. Um, as opposed to, I will speak for Keith and say that I feel like his games tend to be a, more loose. He he lets the characters have like more control over and manipulation of the world, uh, admittedly, than I do. I feel like. Yeah, I don't know. I think I I I feel like my GM style is constantly changing, and I think it it, it I can't. I'm just thinking about it. I'm like I can't say that I can pin down a, a solid thread throughout everything I've ever run. Um, I think like I'm. Like every game, I'm like, I want to try out this thing in this game, right? Um, so I think uh, I'm always like trying to do some something particular with every game. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran a, a Star Wars uh, kind of like scum and villainy game, right? That was like everybody was smugglers on on, on the ship. They were all criminals in some way. And that game, I really had serious secrets. I really <laughs> wanted to highlight secrets, and I wanted the whole party to have these complex, like really high stakes secrets that all like 
if everybody knew it would be like it would be bad mm-hmm. uh, and and I wanted them to all work together towards some kind of goal but also have these dirty secrets that would occasionally reveal themselves so I think every campaign that I run I go after some kind of challenge um, in this last uh, I, I ran a season of a, a Numenera game uh, cipher system uh, that my goal was to have like the characters really shine and so I thought of it as a TV show where I was like Every episode, I look at where they're at, and I look at what they're about to do, kind of in the logical narrative, and I'm like, what character is going to be the most powerful or the most like interesting in that moment in time? And that character, that's their episode. If it's like two people, that's like their episode. And so I would um, like create content and create situations that really like highlighted those characters, the NPCs that interacted with them, and the situations that be like. This is, you know, this is an Orion episode, mm-hmm. right? Because this is like his struggle, um, and and everybody around the table knew that, and so the people who weren't like it wasn't their episode would maybe take a step back, and I try and like tangle them all into something interesting mm-hmm. that was going on, but it was like this is, you know, this person's episode, so. Um, I don't know that I have like a really solid grasp on what like every game I run, I'm like trying to do something totally different. I feel like, mm-hmm. and that, and that's you know. Yeah. It's like always stretching for something, but at the same time, like, I don't know, it's just out there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the other was it as a player yeah. was, yeah, I, I feel like as a player, I feel um, like a little bit bored by combat. Um, it's not the thing that totally engages me. I love to play like powerful social characters or char- like powerful utility characters. Like I want to open the doors in the plot. And like advance the plot quickly and powerfully. Like I want to be the person who's like, I got us through the through the castle, right? I convinced everyone and I moved us along. Mm-hmm. Um, or like through my u- clever use of like, you know, I play a lot of wizards or like bards. Um, oftentimes are like kind of my my top picks, and I love to be the character that that has like the, all the utility powers that we need to move forward. Um, and a lot of times when it comes to battle, I'm just like I, I can accept being a useless combative character in, mm-hmm. in many of the games that I play. And because I often tune it out, even if I'm, even if my character is particularly good at it, um, it just doesn't engage me as much. So, but as a GM, I think it's more engaging because you're like all over the place mm-hmm. with everything going on. Like you have to be engaged. By it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. Battle. I understand battle can be super boring sometimes because it's. I mean, that's really when you're doing all of the number crunching. That's yeah, when D and D turns into math. And rule totally. referencing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me. As both a player and a GM, in my head, I have such a vivid image of what's mm-hmm. actually happening. Like, every time I play D&D, one of the things that keeps me coming to the table every single week is that once we get into combat, or even even in social situations, I have a movie in my head of yeah. what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's something, um, I feel like that's something that a lot of the, the best, I would say this, a lot of the best GMs have is mm-hmm. a movie playing in their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, instead of... Uh... You know, there's certainly those games where you're like, okay, I did 10 damage um, with this attack. Okay, next next person on the initiative. Okay, I rolled, I hit, I did mm-hmm. I did three damage. Okay, next person. Like, the games can sometimes be like yeah. that. But the times when you're, like, describing the moment and people are cinematically leaping over, swinging across chandeliers and, like, climbing up the exterior of the hull of the ship mm-hmm. as it's sinking and whatnot is, like, creates the most dynamic and exciting moments that, that are, are memorable, yeah. Yeah, and that makes me think to circle back to that question I and and as something that I've arrived at only more recently as as a particular conversation that I had with somebody 
is that um, I, I oftentimes, I think I build like a campaign toward a uh, basically like a storyboard mental image that I have of some sort of a final shot mm-hmm. of like, this is the climax of this campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the third season of A Garden of War, which Keith played in, I had this image of this crazy fight going down on this mountaintop with this like meteorite flying by because my world has rings around it that are like magic infused. And them doing this crazy ritual and, like, tearing open this rift to the plane of the dead. I mean, it's just totally, like, stakes are, like, cranked up to 11, right? Mm -hmm. And the most, like, wacky, crazy, like, scene for it. But it all, like, comes from that mental image. In in the same way, I think I share that uh, with you as that. that, But, of course, as a a GM, you can be projecting into the future and be like, this is the moment that I want it to build to. And Mm -hmm. so just how do we get from here to there? I actually, I built an entire campaign, and instead of this being the climax, uh, it was actually the, the first session. Mm. I had an idea for a World War II set superhero game cool. using Mutants and Masterminds 3rd Edition. Cool. Which I'm actually having Steve Kenson on the podcast in nice. a couple awesome. weeks. Nice. So that'll be awesome. That'll be a ton of fun to, to talk with him about that. But the image was Normandy Beach, 1944, but when the boats open up, it's not GIs coming out, it's superheroes. Oh, man. Yeah. And they're not fighting just, like, awesome. German machine guns. There's, like, giant robots mm-hmm, out there. Mm-hmm. And all this, like, deep, weird Nazi science stuff going cool. on. That sounds man. like a fun setting. I, I feel I like that's, that. the, uh, that's, like, the best way of approaching fun uh, speculative fiction is, like, you take... You take two stories that we already know. You're like, we already know the Normandy Beach story, and we already know the superhero story, but you, the point where they intersect on the Venn yeah. diagram, you're like, I don't know what is going to be there, but I kind of like already suspect like some elements, and it creates this really interesting mashup. Like, I saw some uh, Jim Butcher on your bookshelf, and that's just like gritty noir with magic. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a detective, Chicago detective, like mm-hmm. wizard, right? And it's like an interesting mm-hmm. mashup of where those things meet. Yeah. I've met him twice. He is awesome. I love the Dresden Files. I someday hope to have him on the show because mm-hmm. I, I think he actually is a big fan of role playing. Yeah. Oh, I'd believe Especially that. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I think he's a big LARPer. Is yeah. Cool. Awesome. And he's always got that hat on. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen him at Dragon Con and, and whatnot, speak on panels, and yeah, he's he's always got great things to say, yeah. Do you go to Dragon Con every year? Um, I did for a couple years, probably about five or six years I went every year, but it just got to be too expensive, yeah. I, I used to go, it got to be like eight or nine years in a row I went to Dragon Con every year. That's actually where my wife and I met. Oh, wow, that's awesome. awesome. <laughs> we met at the Heroes and Villains Ball at Dragon Con. Yes! yes. I, oh, I was Batman, she was Black Cat. Oh, it was, wow. it was a like a love story. It was, a, it was literally like a movie moment. I turn yes. around in the Batman costume. You can't turn your head. Michael Keaton. <laughs> yes. right. Michael Keaton never turns his head. You always see him in the movie. When he turns, he turns his whole body. I turned completely around on a whim. Just I wanted to see how many people were behind me. The first person I see is the woman that I'm now married to. Yes. Oh. That's beautiful. It was it was it was nerdy love at first sight. It awesome. was a John Hughes movie directed by Kevin Smith or something like that. <laughs> Man, great story. Yeah, that's a great story. So, kind of getting back to these uh, these questions here for both of you guys, what's the most fun game you've ever run or played in? Well, I know immediately the most fun game that I have ever played in uh, has been a game that Keith has um, run 
for our group on Wednesdays for, for like, you know, shorter stints of that same sort of like 12 episodes at a time and then take time off for a year. But we have been playing this game for eight years or something like that beneath Tangled Roots, mm. which when we, when we first started it, Keith and I, uh, I was GMing with him and we bit off this just absolutely insane, um, <laughs> man, <laughs> a campaign concept. And I, uh, we ran the first season of it as co-GMs, and that was absolutely awesome and some of my favorite moments ever. Probably my single most, like, brutal GM moment was Keith GMing a Mind Flayer that, that was just awful and, and stole the, the, like, MacGuffin, the ring from us that we were carrying and teleported away, and it was just so heartbreaking. And ate the player's brain who was holding <laughs> And I'm saying us as a player because then I came to play in that game, but really I was GMing in that moment. But I wasn't jamming the Mind Flayer. I was like playing some other mobs, and he did that, and I could not believe how cruel it was. Man, it was <laughs> um, a, it was a moment that I was just like Mind Flayer's turn. The player is right in front of him, and like has just been killed, and he has the ring. Like it's a he has smart the, creature. He's got yeah. everything that he needs. It made perfect sense. I just I just didn't think he would be that cruel. But what this game has been is like some epic, like world-ending plot going on with mind flayers that seem to be summoning um, like more mind flayers from the beyond, and maybe some even kind of crazy primordial cosmic uh, beast that is going to consume the world. So it's just huge scale. Our characters are mythic, which this is in Pathfinder. Uh, at this point, we are—I want to say. 13th, 13th level yeah, with like 13 or 14 three tiers of mythic or something um, I, I don't want to explain too much of mythic but it's basically just like another power level on top of your character level so the characters are wildly high level but what has made that game so enjoyable is um, that our characters have had awesome moments of heroism uh, that have been witnessed by the world and that have like then uh, raised us up as heroes on their shoulders and has felt completely fulfilling in in that like promise that is rarely ever delivered in in these types of stories where you actually get to see your um, your positive um, you get to see your impact on the world like actually make its you know positive change um, and you get to see the people affected by it because we've stayed in the same areas or we've like returned to them and come back and seen how they've changed and how they're dynamic um, and the and the problems that you've solved like you've overthrown a, a tyrannical church and oh. like whatnot and and the people of that city just like think you guys are the greatest right yeah and i feel like that was really kind of a lesson that we like we all learned together <laughs> yeah like i mean when we first ran that we were probably the worst gms people like look back on that because we were we were like we were both like um kind of in more of a power gamer phase i feel like than we are now and so we would get together and we would like come up with the craziest ideas for these encounters and we build out these crazy mm -hmm. monsters and then we throw them at people and we would just rock them they'd always <laughs> they'd always come out of it like with no hit points and like people were just always wrecked and like just like you could just see the sweat on their faces right as they as they leave the encounter and they were like oh um and then it, it culminated with that mind flare eating that mm. player's brain and then and then we had enough players that had kind of um drifted away from the group that we were like okay let's switch back to like just keep gming and josh will play as a player and that was around the time that like they they like freed this city from this like evil church and started really rocking things because I wasn't I wasn't working so hard to make like really challenging encounters. Um, and so in some ways in D&D, you're like, as a GM, you're like, I'm losing if the players are, are, are defeating my stuff too easily. Um, and, and that was my initial reaction. I remember a boss that I'd thrown at you guys that was like a beetle riding mm -hmm. like plague 
priestess at like right when you started playing as your new mm-hmm. character and you guys totally rocked her. Um, and I was like, this is the plague that's sweeping through the city. And then they immediately defeated the boss who was controlling it. And I was like, kind of mad. And I was like, my initial reaction was like, well, that wasn't the, the real one who was controlling <laughs> it, right? And then I was like, no, just let them have it. But then this. you realized yeah. how much fun that we had. In yeah. It, and how we, we showed up in the city and we whooped ass. And, yeah. and people were like, who are these people? And we're like, yeah, we're the heroes. We're here to save the day. And it felt so awesome. So I just leaned into it in the session and yeah. was like, yeah, you know, there's like the plague is rid and, and people are celebrating and whatnot. And you guys were so happy. And then it like sunk in that I was like, oh man, this is like really what the storytelling is about. Like you need to reward people for yeah. doing great things instead of kind of trucking them on this endless quest to throw a ring into into a volcano it's Mm -hmm. like you need to have those small victories along the way and that was a cool learning experience Um, beneath tangled roots that's my favorite game that i've ever played yeah played in it was it was definitely a grand undertaking (laughs) and and someday we'll finish it Mm -hmm. it was totally like a level uh, i think we started at three or six or something Mm -hmm. and and the idea was that it would go all the way to 20 Mm -hmm. and then eventually they released the mythic so that got tacked onto it now it's just out of control i have Mm -hmm. no idea how to balance any in <laughs> anymore it's just out of control but but my favorite i i think uh is the one that josh is finishing this <laughs> friday we're just tooting each other's horn here i love it uh expedition dracana man we've been streaming it on our twitch channel at material components um on fridays and it's in fate core but it's totally it's totally a, a fantasy um fantasy world but we're on an expedition to the north pole where like all of these dragons like um, every seven years, like, fly and they do Migration. something there. They migrate there. And some really wealthy, like, baron or lord has basically, like, done this amazing race kind of thing where it's like, what, whoever, whatever crew can actually reach the North Pole and discover what's going on up there and, like, return will win this, like, enormous prize. Uh, and really cool. it is mm-hmm. such a cool, it was such a cool pitch. And, and he, like, executed it perfectly where it's like, this is what we're doing. This is the mm-hmm. promise of the story and was like, this is a, a wilderness survival horror campaign, right? We're going into the Arctic and people are going to die. And there's um, other expeditions racing against you that are rivals. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we're playing it in Fate Core, which is a pretty rules light, um, excellent like modular system that uh he used a horror toolkit to like um that already has these rules for like having a big cast of characters and like anytime uh say like say i get hit right my character furla gets hit for a lot of damage i can say well actually i'm gonna pass this off to my main npc like my sidekick or i'm gonna pass it off to a horse right uh and it increases depending on how unimportant that character is right Mm -hmm. if i just take two like wounds two stress Mm -hmm. tracks it shifts all the way to a horse like getting horribly uh dying horribly dying horribly Mm -hmm. right um so we've had like this huge cast where we started with like 20 people. It was 25, including four wagons. So yeah. I guess 21 like creatures. Yeah. Like nine horses. And 15. And, and now like we have people. like six, seven <laughs> people. <laughs> people left. What we're down to. Yes. Yeah. And just the most epic deaths. Like mm-hmm. in the last two sessions, we've had main characters die that mm-hmm. has just been so, oh. Yeah. Main, main NPCs, not like the main characters, but that's been an interesting element of that. That, um, that's, that subsystem of fate is, is that agreement with the players to be like, most of these characters will die. So get connected to them and look for the moment when they will, 
like when they can have a shining death. Yeah, it's yeah, been it's, a, it's been a great game and great role play. Like the characters, their interconnected nature has just built as we've gone on this journey and just suffered through great tragedies. And we also started with secrets. Josh totally ran with the secret mm-hmm. thing, so everybody has had like their own like little secret motivation for going on this journey and the things that they want to find. And some of them have been really shady. And some, I mean, mm-hmm. we had a situation where one character was like super treacherous and he ended up turned like getting getting outed and then we all killed him like we had this like draw the line in the sand and he was arguing and it was just really intense role play like bare, like very little dice being rolled mm-hmm. in that moment but we were just like shouting at each other mm-hmm. across the table it was great mm-hmm. uh, that, that's definitely been at, at the top of my my role playing memories gotcha. oh thanks Keith yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now that now that we've fully heightened just our love for this this hobby of ours. Unfortunately, I've got to like poke a hole in the the hull of this boat yes. and ask, what's the least fun game or session you've ever played or run? Ooh. Uh, let me think about that for just a second. Well, I can certainly think back to childhood and some games that just completely <laughs> fell apart because because kids are kids. Mm-hmm. But I hardly hardly count those i feel like uh well i mean well here's a thing and this was as a kid but um i mean mo- a most disappointing moment certainly that i had in, in a D game was one of my characters dying it was uh, a character that i played for a long time in a second edition game and we had adopted these rules for um for critical hits that was like you know you roll the 20 then it's like okay now i've got a critical then it's like what part of the body you rolled another like table and then it was like how critical is the critical hit um and it was really fun and dynamic and we'd be chopping off people's arms and stuff but eventually my character's head got chopped off to those (laughs) rules by some just totally nonsense goon they should not have been able to do it and i was so pissed but it was using the same rules that everybody else agreed to so i couldn't really say much about it that sounds like aces and eights not familiar Aces and Eights is a Western RPG, mm-hmm. and so it's it's like cowboy stuff, cool. but it's super gritty yeah. Western stuff. So you roll, and then you roll to see where you hit, and it's this whole process. And I think there might actually be playing cards involved too, mm-hmm. but cool. I might be bringing in some of Deadlands yeah. as well. With yeah, that. so I'd I'd have to familiarize myself with Aces and Eights, but I think there's an aspect of using playing cards with that as well. Yeah, I think uh, one of my least favorite sessions I vividly recall in an epic uh, level 3-5 campaign that I was a part of uh, that I joined a little bit like later. So they played from, I think they started at first level, and this uh, session was kind of one of the penultimate sessions um, that was like 28, I want to say. Level 28? We were like, yeah, we were level 28, right? We were crazy. Oh, I mean, God. I was playing a bard uh, who could play like multiple different songs and sub-vocalize and like give people buffs. It was crazy. Um, I had like 30-something charisma and I could add it to my AC. It was out of control. I was a seeker of the song, <laughs> prestige class. It was crazy. Um, but in any case, the, the campaign was really pretty good. It was a little bit crazy crazy and aimless at times. Um, this was back in Chicago, so I'm sorry, um, Jason, if you're listening, <laughs> for me ripping on you. He, he's a great GM um, in his own right and was doing his own thing, but he was really gearing up for this next game that he was talking about, right? He had this next campaign that was on the horizon, mm. and then suddenly we were like in this, like he had a great sense of storytelling. He was a, he was a World of Darkness uh, um, big GM in that kind of those kind of systems, but uh, he had this crazy dungeon that we were going through that was like the Keep of the Hundred. Uh, and like, 
every single person in the keep that we encountered, you know, when we killed them, it was like, okay, now it's the keep of the 99 or whatever, right? It was being renamed. It was a cool idea. But each person was like this specked out crazy character that was like, <laughs> right? We're, we're all like in our like, you know, level 29 or whatever. Yeah. And so they're all, but he didn't have any character sheets for them, right? Mm-hmm. So there was an element of like us as players that were like, this is insanely complicated, right? <laughs> we're like really high level three, five characters. And he's just rolling and, like, making up numbers, right? Mm. And his argument was that, like, well, yeah, I figured out what their attack scores are, and I'm just going with it. But I'm like, you're making iterative attacks, and okay. Mm. In any case, I'm getting off target, but he had these rangers that were firing on us down this hallway, right? And they were they were using arrows of X-slaying, right? Each arrow they were firing was, like, arrow of human slaying, I'm going after the human, right? And I'm like... They have, like, a lot of arrows of human slaying, and every time we're hit, we're making these, like, save or die. DC 20 yep. saves or die, right? And so, three, four people died in this one encounter, and I was like, this makes no sense, right? This is crazy. Are you trying to kill us? And I remember saying that, and then being like, he is trying to kill us, right? Because he's gearing up for this next campaign. And then just being so mad, because this campaign had gone on for so long and was so epic. And then to just die in this random keep that had nothing to do with anything. Yeah, because of these people who had... And then I looked up the rule later, and you can't have more than one. They were arcane archers, and they can make arrows of slaying, right? But they could only make one. Yeah, like by the rules, right? So it was, it was a combination of many things that um, just really like irked me that I was like, why is this ending like mm-hmm. this, right? Like this epic campaign should end in an epic fashion and just like get us to a big victory instead of killing us all in this <laughs> random hallway, right? He was gygaxing you. He was. He totally was. He was like, do you want to go down this hallway? <laughs> <laughs> you'll either change genders or you'll die without a save. <laughs> All right, so uh, next question. If you could make any fictional universe into an RPG or take an older RPG mm-hmm. and bring it into a modern system, what would you do? Like, what would it Ooh. be? I, I, the second part of the question, an old RPG that, that could be, like, re- brought back to light and resurrected uh, would be Iron Heroes. I loved Iron Heroes. This was Money Cook Games uh, 3-5 kind of like branch in that era of all those crazy 3-5 branches. Uh, And it was like really gritty, low magic. Like there was one class or two classes that you could play that were casters and they were like feared by everyone. If you were playing a caster, it was like, you know, really feared. But they had all these cool token abilities where you can stack up tokens by like the archer could like aim and get a token and then he could spend the token on his various different abilities so it was like three five but with a with an interesting new tactical element to it um that wasn't really being done at the time and everyone was like low magic low like um they were all it was all high action they were all like epic awesome characters and with interesting um cinematic like battle mechanics to them um without this kind of fixation on like the christmas tree character of having like i've got a a plus five sword of this and I've got a goggles of this and boots of this, right? Mm-hmm. They described like in, in one interview that they were like, the idea behind this game is that like your barbarian is like in the midst of like hacking people apart and his sword breaks and it doesn't matter because he just grabs somebody <laughs> else's sword, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I distinctly recall there being a barbarian move that like um, that happened in our game where this barbarian cleaved through two people, right? 
Uh, and then spent his fury tokens that he had stacked up by being hit and dropped his weapon, caught these two guys' swords as they were dying, and then threw them. Epic. And and, and killed another person, right? And it was just like, those were like the kinds of turns that happened in Iron Hero. So it was always like so metal. Oh my god. And and you didn't, like, anytime you dealt, this was like old school sword and sorcery where you're like, anytime you're dealing with somebody who's using magic, everyone is terrified. It's freaky. Right? Because you're like, oh no, this, this cannot be happening right now right because it's you don't have like people just slinging spells left and right so i loved that system a lot yeah and it's kind of uh i i feel like it got picked up like the rights to it got bought and and monty cook has not held on to it and the guy who has it uh seems a little crazy to me um from what i've seen it doesn't seem like he's doing anything with it so i think it's kind of in a limbo uh, but man i loved iron heroes um the well the first part of the question was was like a, something that has not that is not a role playing game, but it's yeah. like a world that we would like to see as a role playing game. Yeah, yeah, def- no question on that one. Uh, a series that Keith introduced me to, a wonderful fantasy series written in the seventies called uh, um, the Earthsea Cycle. Technically, it's a five book series. Um, but the, the world of Earthsea, that setting written by Ursula K. Le Guin, um, that is probably my favorite fantasy series of all time. And it's all of like 600 pages for the trilogy, which is what she wrote originally in the 70s. Uh, she wrote the trilogy. She came back and wrote the other two books later. But that, uh, that is, I, I actually just reread those books like two months ago. Um, and it's, it, they're technically, I think, YA, young audience books. Um, but they are, they are profound and they are like mystical. And, and beautiful and her writing is incredible. Um, I, some of the things that I love about that world in particular, her magic system is, is all language based. Um, this was in, I mean, really, I think she started writing in the late 60s and she was doing basically Harry Potter like 40 years before Harry Potter because the main character is a goat herd on the side of a mountain who realizes he has a magical knack because he kind of learns from a witch, gets taken under his wing by like a wizard master for a while, then gets sent off to the school learns his powers, and then uh, is foolish with his powers and, like, unleashes this power into the world, and then he has to track it down to the ends of the earth, and that all happens over the course of, like, 180 pages or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the magic system is so cool and the that it's all language-based and it's all um, knowing the true names of things and having power over them. And she's even kind of doing different... the different schools of magic, the different heads of the different... Um, schools like the master wind key who does like all the like like kind of weather magic and stuff and the master like summoner and the master changer Uh, i don't recall what they all are but just for as early as it was um and and it's it's not long-winded it moves fast so really i'm just talking about how much i love those books but the setting is is beautiful her she has the coolest dragons hands down of any fantasy series that i've ever read her dragons are so incredible uh, they insp- they were so inspiring to my dragons that I basically rewrote the lore of my world to to like make mine like kind of fit with this image that she was building that I loved so much. I think it would be and basically all of the wizards, at least the wizards from that school from Roke, are uh, benevolent. They are they are like go out in the world and they keep the world in balance. There's this idea of yeah. equilibrium and not using your power without like only using power when you absolutely must, right? And she and it has just these lines, these profound lines in the book of like you know that that wizards uh, when you start you think that a wizard is somebody that can do whatever they want because they have all this power, but the truth is is that as a wizard gains their power, their path grows narrower until they do only what they must do. Right, so it's getting at some like heavy, profound, like keep the world in balance, you know, protect the world. Um, these are like messages that resonate with me. 
uh, and along with the magic system and, and the setting. It's beautiful. It's all islands, mm-hmm. um, Earth, sea, right? Yeah. It's almost yeah. entirely flooded. Archipelago kind of feeling. I, I do yeah. know, though, that multiple people like basically pitched an RPG to Ursula K. Le Guin, and she shot them down hard. Yeah. So I would also say that in her honor, I would never force <laughs> for it to be a thing. Um, I question whether it would make a great RPG. I think it could work if you basically were like, you're all wizards from Roke or something, or you're all like on this benevolent. I feel like that's the only way to tell that story. Yeah. Would be trying to keep the equilibrium. It'd have to be a pretty like role-play heavy system that, yeah. that was not crazy action-packed, but, but, but yeah. But forming the spells by using the different words. Yeah. To, to create this, to craft the spell with yep. the verbal components, right? Man, I feel like uh, I've never, I've never experienced a world where like the magic is when when people are using dark magic that it was so terrifying. I mean, there was like a an evil brick, right? <laughs> In that keep, there was that freaky evil <laughs> yeah, brick. Essentially, yeah. it was a stone that they're the like, this is like of this keep, the, and... just so ancient, so evil. The way they describe it, and like the way the characters interacted, like near it and stuff. And I was like, I'm really scared of this. <laughs> of this brick of the stone man it was so freaky that stone <laughs> yeah wonderful series also the main character ged is black uh is, is a great little like side yeah, like note. everybody's black uh, i yeah, feel like yeah. most of the people on except the for the crazy island. savages in the south are all white yeah <laughs> totally and it was remade as some like horrible show in the like 90s or something and of course they're all it's all whitewashed unfortunately except and, for danny glover i feel like is in it. he is in it yeah yeah <laughs> And, and then uh, Studio Ghibli got their hands on it, but when um, um, What's-His-Name wasn't at the helm, and, and they did a version of it that's pretty awful. Miyazaki. Well, yeah, his son, yeah. his son took it over. She, like, signed it off thinking that he was going to handle it, and then his son handled it and kind of didn't do so great. <laughs> anyway, Earthsea. Earthsea uh, go yeah. do yourselves a favor, pick up the at least the first book and read it. It'll take you, like, a couple days to get through it. Hmm. And uh, last of these introductory questions, if you could put... Anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Ooh. Is it D&D related? It can be anything. This can be as philosophical, as dumb as you want it to be. I got one that's RPG-centric uh, and, and related to the game that we've been running, the um, Expedition Draconon, a joke that we've cracked at the table. So a, a big uh, feature of the Fate core system is that all of the characters have aspects. They're like narrative elements that they can pay a Fate point to get a bonus on their roll. And we uh, and there's other aspects on the table that, that they can use, and we refer to that as tapping it or tapping that aspect. And then we were like, that needs to be a T-shirt. <laughs> Hashtag tap that aspect. Tap that yes. aspect. Yeah. Well, man, mine is probably a shirt that we'll make at some point for the for the Heroes Guild. Uh, our slogan is "Do good, be rewarded." Right? Yep. Be rewarded for the good that you do. So we we feel like that would be a cool shirt. And then you're like, definitely on, on the back, it's got the logo or something like that. Yeah. On the back, it's got the the oath. Ooh, yeah, the Heroes Guild oath. <laughs> We've had my friend Austin came on one time and said he put a fully functioning koi pond on a T-shirt. <laughs> Which is a very Austin answer. Excellent. And then there's the the infamous answer from Digital Men. Uh, we had the lead singer and lead guitarist of the band. I'm actually wearing the t-shirt right now. Them Evils. Jordan Griffin came on. And I believe he was drunk at the time. He told me as much. But his answer was, and I'm sorry, Mom, that I'm saying this again. Um, play guitar and suck titties. <laughs> You'd sell some shirts with that. Yes, oh, you yeah. would. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you would. Especially in Nashville. <laughs> 
in Nashville, there'd just be like a group of girls, like fifteen of them in black shirts and one of them in a white shirt that had oh, that on. Yep. Yeah, the bachelorette party. Oh, it is a thing. My my family was here. We were downtown, and we just on a whim decided we were going to count the bachelorette parties. This was before five o'clock, and this was on a Saturday afternoon. We got to forty four. Wow, oh. forty four. Insane. I believe it, though. A chorus of... Yes. (laughs) Pedal taverns. Y'all, Nashville is lovely. Yeah. It is. It's a great city. It is a great, (laughs) great tourist destination. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's going through some pains, too. But but it's lovely. Yep. All right. So that knocks out all of the, uh, the questions I ask every single guest. So let's get down to the specifics for you guys. First and foremost, we have another duo on the show. So I have to ask, how did you guys meet? Man, Josh uh, was working at the coffee shop that we both work at now, Ugly Mugs, uh, in East Nashville. And uh, I was a customer there uh, and working an IT gig at the time. And I heard him talking about D&D behind the bar. Uh, and I just like sheepishly walked up and was like, you play D&D, I play D&D, let's play D&D together, right? And I, I distinctly recall that you were like almost off your shift. Mm. And you were like, oh, hey, like, uh, are you going to be around? And I was like, yeah, totally. Um, and you came over and we started talking. And then my wife, Freya, called me and was like, our house just got robbed. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot about that. Right? And I was like, I'm sorry. I got to go. <laughs> my house just got robbed. So, <laughs> And the rest is history. And the rest is history. <laughs> what is it with, like, D&D, like, first D&D experiences and tragedy? I got bitten by a dog the first time I played D&D. <sighs> Like like an actual dog, not in the game. An actual wow. dog bit me. You failed your handle animal check. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did big time. Well, I think here's your answer is that is that to me, like role-playing games at their core are all about um, um, struggle and growth. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you cannot enter into a D&D group without... Um, struggle, which then causes you to grow. Yeah, profound. that's one of the most profound things I've ever heard. About <laughs> I'm gonna. We just lay that on you. <laughs> like, you said that, and then in my head, I just got an image of my RPG group that I just left back in Charlotte. I mean, these guys, two of them were in my party at my wedding. The rest of them were there. So I just had all these images of all these moments where we just like had fights and grew as people mm-hmm. and stuff like man I think it's the nature of life <laughs> yeah. and and it, it works in role playing games as well oh my god not that there you know there there might be some person up in the up in the clouds rolling uh, nat 20s against us or maybe it's all just <laughs> random but whatever the case we we all uh, uh struggle and and what we make of it to to grow and become better is uh what makes us heroes man podcast host rendered speechless how <laughs> how did this happen <laughs> Hashtag D&D wisdom yeah, yeah. and so uh whose idea was it to to kind of do this thing this uh, the heroes guild thing yeah um i mean it it was my idea but but it was it it was entirely like made possible by everybody else saying that they would help me to see it through, right? Yeah. Um, it, it came for me from a place of um, of, of suffering. I, w- I was like really depressed. Uh, this was in 2016, um, and, and uh, I mean, among a bunch of like things in my life that were going horribly wrong, and like thousands of dollars out because I had to put a new engine in my car, and and was like walking to work in the snow, and just really like self pity, um, and. Frankly, in 2016, 
2016 in the middle of like the uh, presidential primaries and, and seeing like Trump's kind of like swing uh, in, in prominence and into power. It was all a pretty depressing time. And, and so I just at some point was kind of fed up with feeling that way and, and, and you know, had a moment of just being like, I have to, you know, do something about this to make myself feel better. To make the, to, I can't give in to despair, right? Right. If, if we just allow ourselves to say that the world sucks and that it is what it is, then, um, then it will just continue to be what it is rather than what it ought to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just had, took some time with myself and asked, like, what can I do to make the world better? And I, I, you know, kept returning to a Joseph Campbell quote, uh, which is follow your bliss. And my bliss has been role-playing games for 20 years. So I, I considered if I could make my bliss, um, combine my bliss with helping people. And I've always known, I think anybody that's played D&D, especially from a young age, if they have, they know the educational value of it. Yep. Um, I didn't care really about reading or literature before D&D. Um, I was very mediocre at math. I was did not have like great vocabulary or like reading comprehension. And I got into D&D and it blew it, it blew my mind and it blew up my mind. Um, and so I just knew forever that it's an incredible learning tool, whether you're just playing the game or in the case of what we're doing, taking a really active approach of, of using it as a learning tool. Um, so yeah, I had the idea. I came up with the name when I was on vacation. And I came back and I asked all of the people at my table, this Wednesday group that we've been playing with now for eight or years or something like that. And I just was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Would any of you guys be interested? And like just everyone was like, yes, sign us up. So that was then the point when I was like, okay, this can be a thing. I I, uh, made a GoFundMe and posted it to the local community and said that I wanted to try to do it. And we raised like $1,200 or something. And that bought all the supplies to get us started. And I got connected with local community centers and we ran our first season for almost six months. Um, we now do three month seasons. We didn't really know what we were doing then, but even the first season was a huge success. And then it's just, it's just steamrolled on from there and, and people love it. And, uh, r- related to that, when you had this idea in your head, how much work had you actually done with kids at that point in your life? Uh, I mean, essentially none on any sort of like professional or like volunteer level. Mm-hmm. Aside from just, I, I feel like I'm good with kids. Um, yeah. I've always kind of been a kid at heart and I, and I enjoy coming down to the kids level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like the, the joy that kids get out of it when they see an adult that's willing to come down to their level. Cause yeah. that's something that adults just don't do often enough. Definitely. And, and so I've, I always have felt like in touch with that. Right. So it wasn't a far step, but to be honest, when we started, our intention was not to be working with really young kids. It was to be working with teenagers and we wanted to run Dungeons and Dragons. And that's when I learned fifth edition because fifth edition had come out not that long before, right. uh, probably a year or at least before, maybe two, but I haven't played fifth edition yet. Um, so, so I got together with actually a bunch of my friends from Ugly Mugs and ran a, ran the, uh, the like beginner box game to learn it. And it was, it was great. Lost Minds of Fendelver. And, and I have to say my, for what it's my worth. Group right now. Yes. Nice. Because they're a bunch of newbies. Yeah. Like I have to say for what it's worth, the fifth edition is hands down the best version of the game ever made. And I'm super stoked that, uh, that that is the version that we are teaching at the Heroes Guild to the older kids, the kids that are like 12 and up. But we ended up in community centers where the kid, the age range was more like 6 to 10. And we were like, oh, we weren't ready for that. So then we ran Dungeon World for them the first season, which was powered by the apocalypse. Uh, and that, that worked in some ways and didn't work in other ways. And then eventually we realized that there was enough interest in it. And parents approached us and basically were like, we want to buy this from you, but we don't understand what it is. 
but please bottle it up and sell it to us. <laughs> so Keith and I were like, okay, let's make our own game. And then that's where like the Heroes Guild RPG then came from, off, extending off of the Heroes Guild volunteer program. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and we turned around the first draft in like two months or something. Like It was, <laughs> it was, like, it was like November mm-hmm. to like January. I feel like that we like, cranked it out. And the first draft was certainly like pretty pretty wackadoo. But yeah, it's it's been a really cool experience to create a, a game like for a target audience that is not you uh, and then like bring it to that target audience week after week and like just play test it right it's like a really rich opportunity and we've got four GMs like running it concurrently um, that are all like kind of just throwing it out there and seeing what kids are into in every season when we break we like pull it back together and are like okay what worked what didn't work like what needs to be adjusted and so we go through these little drafts and uh, it's just getting like closer and closer to like bottling up what kids love about the experience mm-hmm. um, with cutting out you know kind of the the excess rules and, and whatnot yeah it's been a really cool experience so when you were kind of making the system for younger kids what did you notice like had to go both rules wise and content wise yeah anything that was like like ethically problematic like even close to ethically problematic like any stealing or backstabbing dancing, yeah backstabbing <laughs> Um, poisoning, like mm-hmm. demons, summoning really anything that could be construed as being evil, demonic, like, in yeah. Any way, or kind we've of got devilish. we've got some ghosts, and we've got we've got kind of a Cthulhu like thing going on with the Arcanist, but it but. It's like it's, a creature from another plane, but it doesn't, it's not like demonic. Yeah. In any and, way. and really kids just get on board with like, they get to customize it. So you're like, what are its limbs? It's got tentacles and wings and like a beak. And so, and so the kids really get on board with that. Yeah. But yeah, I think, well, some, the kind of opposite of the question, things that we realized that had to stay or had to be amped up that we didn't want was, or didn't initially want was like animal companions. We're in, a, in like, in Dungeon World and in the first draft of, of Heroes Guild RPG, uh, we had only like one, like just a, a ranger, right? That was yeah. like, you know, the ranger has to have an animal companion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we're describing them to the, to the players, and would come to the ranger and be like, and the ranger has like a cool pet, like as a, a big wolf or like a bat or something. It was like every kid was like that one, right? Mm-hmm. I need rangers that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. So we always had like a lot of people really interested in rangers mm-hmm. and fighting over it and, and druids being able to turn into animals, certainly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I recall just being like, we gotta, we gotta do something about this, like, and then eventually coming to the decision that every character would have a pet of some kind, or, or like a companion, right? Mm-hmm. The, the like commander has a squire, uh, and the like, the like silver song musician character has a floating instrument that like provides them accompaniment, but they, like kids just like really get on board with like being able to command this other thing to do stuff mm-hmm. um, and, and have like their cool pet like Pokemon or something right love. they just love it <laughs> yeah it, it was like a, a thing that we were just like all right we gotta feed this. I was really resistant to it and Keith was the one that was like we gotta feed it and I kept being like but I just don't want them just all only playing with their creatures the whole time mm-hmm. and we found an even ground with with like the rule that, that they actually use to do it the command rule when they roll is is limiting that to some degree so it so it now sits in a nice medium place where everybody has a companion and they're all cool and they can all do things but they're not they don't overshine outshine yeah the heroes. they end up getting easily tied up mm-hmm. if they like roll with a complication it's like okay it did the thing you wanted but now it's like it's not, busy for the it's next busy, round yeah so, so next round you need to do something with your, your main character <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not just 
interact with your wolf all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's even a thing like with adults in role playing games. Like I've had problems with my current group paying more attention to yeah. like the animals yeah. running around. Like we talked about this when we had dinner. Uh, my party when they when we were playing Fandelver and they got to the that first goblin lair and they had the three wolves chained up. Not only did they free those wolves, but they then spent like felt like ten minutes. It was mm-hmm. probably more like three minutes coming up with names for these fucking mm-hmm. wolves. Mm-hmm. And they keep bringing it up, and that's why I went into that whole spiel with them mm-hmm. that, that made my roommate very upset. Because <laughs> I'm like, I've read this module, I, I have all this stuff. There's all this cool stuff that mm-hmm. you can do. No, you you want to hang out with the fucking wolves. Okay, the card of the crawl is right there. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, I definitely feel that. I mean, my uh, we, we talked about Expedition Dracana for a second earlier, mm-hmm. the game that we're Josh is finishing up, um, and my character's like main NPC is a is a weird uh, snow vine. It's like a plant, like burrowing. predatory burrowing plant thing, <laughs> and I feel like I've role played as that thing more than my character in some ways because it's just been so weird and interesting to be like okay what's this we- yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's been a comedic factor of it just it just eats people all the time any anybody who dies or whatever or the remains just digesting of creatures them. And yeah <laughs> yeah i think it's part of the the fantasy realm right of being like animals mm-hmm. are really important in, mm-hmm. in the realm of fantasy and so like we like to connect with them in a way that we're not in our real lives you know and uh, speaking of problems that are also big with even adults playing role-playing games how do you keep these kids engaged in sessions uh well something and kind of uh, similar to like a, a the last question that you asked of like elements that we needed to keep um we when we ran powered by the apocalypse for them the first time was a um, dungeon world uh, an element of that system that is that is really beautiful and i think like all role-playing games need to try to adopt it more is the idea of failing forward um which is particularly important for kids but I think it's important for really any game and for adults as well that like you don't want to have moments when you roll to try to do something and then they fail and then the narrative stops mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, you didn't unlock the door. Now what? And then we're all just sitting there, right? I try again. Powered <laughs> by the apocalypse is, is like, you know, you on a 10 and up, you pick the lock successfully with no complications on a seven through nine, you pick the lock, but maybe somebody noticed you on like a six and under like, or maybe like you break your lock pick on a seven through nine on six and under. It's like you pick the lock and you open it and there's a orc standing on the other side. It's like a bad complication yeah, right? waiting for you already. But ge- but yeah. generally it usually takes this approach of like you succeed, but at a cost rather yeah. than um, failing and, and not doing anything. And that mm. the kids respond a lot better to that in our game. If they attack and they get a complication, they attack and they do their damage and they did their thing. But usually a monster that's nearby them swipes them and hits them back. Mm. And they're not like, they're like, Ow, but they're not. They does, it doesn't upset them at all that they technically didn't really succeed. You know, I think voices like go over really well with the kids. Mm. Like doing like goofy voices and role playing as like weird things. Like I, I in this last season did like uh, a bunch of treant like characters that were like in the in the woods that they were traveling through, and they kept being like, "Oh, make sure to go go say hi to my friend Jimmy, who is like further down. He's also a tree person." You know. <laughs> And and they just loved it, right? They they love like making friends with people, certainly, but they love it like on a meta level when they're interacting with an adult who's just doing like who's just, just being acting goofy. like a doofus, right? Yeah. Um, and doing like old people voices and mm-hmm. or, or like wizard old yeah. crazy wizards mm-hmm. and whatnot, like any kind of goofy voices they get on board with. But yeah, they love making friends and and like 
connecting with them and then being able to turn that friendship into like something meaningful mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, now you can help us. Yeah. Right. You're like, we made friends with these trees and they can give us some information or they can like, mm-hmm. um, you know, lead the way or something or, or like particularly if they make friends with, uh, with like, uh, I did like a giant like leopard, uh, like panther, I think, or something, panther king. And they made friends with it. And then like all of them like rode it somewhere and they just loved it. Right. It's like oh you make God. friends with things and then they're like, all right, right on my back. And it's like this huge animal that they're <laughs> mm-hmm. riding on their back, on its back. And they just love that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we always have, that was, a, that was a kind of all over the place answer, but yeah, just like it's rule of cool, right? They like yeah. really want something awesome to happen all the time. So you're like, many of our sessions are like, you're flying on pterodactyls, like towards like this giant Godzilla monster and stuff. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're always like, really amped up mm-hmm. and, and crazy and epic and and well yeah and particularly like this season finales are always like yeah. really crazy because it's always like one giant mega threat that the that's facing the whole group of like all of the tables right are all like in the same world together mm-hmm. uh and so you're like the season finale is always like um some huge threat that all the tables are interacting with in a kind of convoluted crazy way where you're like this group is uh you know the first one we ran was like a Godzilla creature that was like rampaging across this island and it was like one group was steering it with chains on its legs and one group was like scaling it in order to peel back like one of its armor pieces so that another group who had like the poison spear was gonna like flying around on pterodactyls were gonna chuck the spear and hit it and it was like all of them like just like being a part of this huge thing together and it was all like super amped up and exciting I think that that is really what it comes down to the kids like don't engage as much with like um, kind of like political petty squabbles or anything like that. Like they role playing, not really so much. There needs to be like action. Mm-hmm. There needs to be stakes. Not necessarily violence is something that I've been really leaning into is action, but not violence. Yeah, um, but yeah, there there needs to be like something happening, or else you can lose them pretty quick. We're talking about kids that are sometimes as young as six years old. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, a, an instance of something that just totally didn't go over well. The first season that we ran, I did like a traditional D&D style game where they, they like journeyed from one location to the next. And I was like, okay, now through these woods, you encounter these things, right? Mm-hmm. I was just kind of spitballing it in the way that you're like, I played D&D a bunch of times mm-hmm. and they just didn't care at all about the journey. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame them. Cause you're like, yeah, it's just random encounters along the journey, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, it's cool and interesting. And they're just like, yeah, like mm-hmm. we want to get to the, when we get to the, moment. Get to the thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, okay, yeah, I, I guess owlbear, like random owlbears aren't like that, <laughs> that exciting, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so that was a cool, like, learning experience from kids to be like, okay, yeah, we got to get, jump right to the thing, right? As someone who's worked with kids for right around five years now, I know, you know, most kids are really, really good, really kind-hearted. They just, they're there to have fun. But every now and then you just get a couple kids who are a real handful. How do you guys deal with those kids at the table? A couple different ways. I mean, one one thing that I always impress on the kids, if they're acting up or just at whatever moments that seem appropriate, is I try to let them know that they do not have to be there. Nobody is making them be there with us. And I think sometimes even just telling them that it, it like kind of starts to put them in a different place where it's like, do you want to be here or not? You ask them that question. They're like, yes. Okay. Now we can move on to the next thing of what you need to do in order to be here. Um, we, we run at like a community center where if a kid really doesn't want to participate, we can just be like, you can go play in the playground. <laughs> There's other people there that can watch them. Yep. Or, um, I also do it for explore community school. I could just send one of those kids to go do another activity. 
That's the first thing. Um, the, the second thing is like, I mean, sometimes just being like, if you don't, can't handle participating, you can just sit out. Um, but the, the hero points that we have like written into our game for me are a strong motivator to get kids to do the right thing or to threaten pulling them away. The, the hero point succinctly is, is a system that we added to the Heroes Guild RPG that incentivizes the positive behavior through the characters earning them when they do good things like healing their friends or saving them from peril or when they, uh, if, if like they, for instance, like resolve a conflict without causing harm, everybody in the group earns hero points, right? Cause that's really the sort of thing that we want them to try to do. And we can threaten to take them away if they're acting out and, and not. Um, not kind of acting the way that we want them to, but but we are coming in with an expectation from the very beginning that all of the characters at the table are heroes, mm-hmm. and so like we demand heroic behavior. Not not that we like. I never force the kid really out of doing things. I, I guess sometimes if what they're talking about doing is totally inappropriate, but I think it's important to give them the choice to allow them to do that thing and to uh, experience any consequences that could come from that choice. But, but you can do a healthy bit of steering before, before then, but yeah. What about with the, with the fire giant that they killed? Yeah. That was a great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, I had a, a moment where the kids had basically beaten up this fire giant and it had put him down to his last hit points and he hit, he had surrendered to them. And one of the kids is just extremely insistent about just wanting to attack him. And, and when he finally did, it's like, Oh, his weapon also deals extra damage. So it's like, you kill him. And now you guys can't make that alliance happen between the frost giants and the fire giants. Uh, and that came back to, um, to like haunt them later when, when like that became another conflict. A big thing that we try to highlight in our stories is that, like, if you resolve things peacefully, if you gain allies, um, that those will be your fast friends when you need them. And when we come circle back around for the season finale, all of those allies uh, that they made along the way come to join in in the form of a dragon that they ride on or, or um, you know, some creatures that fight beside them. Um, it, it underscores, like, helping and and then that you will be helped when you need it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the opposite of that then being, like, if you just don't make any friends, then, like, you're going to be alone in this world. You know, and something too big is going to show up and you're not going to be able to deal with it. And, and I think like the, the hero point when kid, when, when a kid's character is in danger in some way and someone else saves them from that danger, they get a hero point for helping their friend from peril, right? Save them from peril. Uh, and that kind of resolved like, uh, a bit in a big way, a problem that we had with kids being like, um, you know, I, I like always think back to this moment that I ran, um, and when we were running Dungeon World where like a kid was frozen in a block of ice, they're fighting an ice dragon and he was falling off this cliff frozen in ice uh and it came to his friend's turn who was a who was a rogue and i was like what do you do and he's like i'm opening the like the dragon has treasure right i'm opening his treasure chest and i was like your friend is like plummeting to his death and is helpless right now right and he's like yeah but like the, the treasure, but there's treasure here and the dragon's <laughs> not watching it yeah and so we we like when we were working on the Heroes Guild and 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 this hero point system and whatnot, we were like really wanted that not to happen. We wanted them to like save one another, right? And so we introduced this not really knowing how deep it would go. Um, it was kind of just like uh, something that we were like, this will be cool and this will help. And then we ended up like basing the whole thing around this point, right? Um, but it has helped in like interesting ways where um, you know you got uh, a group of kids who oftentimes like don't. Know know each other 
And there's often like one or two that are like weird, you know, perceived as weird mm-hmm. by the other kids or just have behavioral problems and are antagonistic or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like as people around the table, they're like, I don't like this guy, right? I don't like this, mm-hmm. this person. Um, and that will continue for a time until, uh, that person saves them because that person is more is incentivized to save them. So they're yeah. going to, and then those two people look at each other like friends, right? Mm-hmm. And then it goes back the other way and they save the, the weird kid, right? And then it's like, you know, they're suddenly friends. Yeah. And, and it, we've seen it continue past beyond the table, right? That they have forged this friendship by participating in the game together and by like cooperatively helping one another to like resolve the conflict instead of like, you know, which what might be their natural instinct to just kind of squabble and like stab each other, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we have kind of encouraged the correct behavior and then it like, continues beyond the table with them like behaving cooperatively with Mm -hmm. one another and friendly towards one another it's really been a a cool thing to experience it's funny how much of the stuff you mentioned these kids doing carries over to adults playing yeah it's so (laughs) funny how adults and kids have the same thought of yeah my party member's dying but treasure Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i can get away with stealing this yeah and no one would notice yeah um, I think inherently, like, as human, as, as creatures, we're, like, driven towards, like, acquiring the power, right? Mm-hmm. We figure out where the power is, and in D&D, it's, like, the gold mm-hmm. and the items, right? Yeah. And so you're, like, you are just driven towards D&D acquiring re- that. D&D rewards you for killing monsters and taking their loot. Yeah. yeah. If, there is a, if there is a point to Dungeons & Dragons, it is killing monsters and taking their stuff. That's how you get more powerful. <laughs> yeah. That's how you... That's everything in yeah. that game, right? Yeah. Um, so we, we we had to step back and be like, what, what is, what do we want people to be doing in our game, right? I mean, right. to me, and the, the core of any role playing game is to play your character. Right. Right. And we have the advantage of, in our game, of being like, all these characters are heroes. Mm-hmm. So then what does it mean to play a hero? Right. And, and so then in many ways, they're actually, it, it's also kind of their, their role playing more accurately because they're actually acting like heroes rather than acting like eight year old kids that don't know what to do with their power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like everyone plays D&D with their id and just forgets that they have a super ego. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's you're you're absolutely right that that like a lot of these qualities kids have and adults have and and we've taken the lessons that we have learned at our adult tables of running games in D&D for a long time and have applied them to the, to this game and in just asking the broadest questions of like what makes for a good time, you know? And and what do people want when they show up to play these games? And what do they expect? And, and um, you know, what do we all agree upon? Um, and, and it's not those antagonistic moments, right? right. The, the, the beauty of uh, Dungeons & Dragons is bringing together like four completely unique and very different characters that that are strong in some ways and weak in other ways and that have to cover for one another and and, and have to work together to overcome the odds mm-hmm. right that there's a lesson in there that we all need to learn of of different personality types and different um different types of people and how we all can like work together to to make the world better yeah, and driving the narrative more towards that and, and less about, like, kind of a colonialist, like, break into the temples and, like, mm-hmm. steal all the goods, you know? And, mm-hmm. and instead be more, like, protect, you know, those in need and, and kind of, like, uphold justice and do mm-hmm. good and, like, per, you know, do do what you can to help one another and, like, reward them with the power in the system for doing that, you know? They're, they're like, not, di- they're not 
uh, penalized for like killing monsters, but they're not rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. And they figure that out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, narratively, they are kind of punished for it, where you're like, well, that, that kind of closed that door for mm-hmm. you. You know, that, that might have been something, you know, a person that you could have called upon, or like that, you know, person might have helped you, like, figure out where to go next, but you killed them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think rewarding them for what we want them to do. <laughs> Just do good. How do you handle combat with kids? Because I know, like, from my own personal experience, I am really big on, as a DM, being like, and you take your sword and you cut his arm off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How do you handle stuff like that with kids who you can't be, like, dismembering things with? I mean, yeah, it's all in how you describe a thing, right? Mm-hmm. The monsters that we have in our game have, have like, um, you know, a certain number of hit points, which we call harm. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you deal, you deal a character harm, a monster harm. Um, they also have, um, attitude, bad attitude, particularly that, that they're, if, if somebody attempts to improve their attitude, make them feel better, then they might end up standing down. That's like the social, social harm, essentially. Gotcha. They've got like a social kind of track that you're mm-hmm. trying to like, you know, wear them down until they become your friend. Yeah, I mean, I feel like just usually I, I narrate that something, you bonk him on the head and he gets knocked out, or like, you know, um, or they run away, or like, I, I just try to like, favor that, like, um, you know, just describing it in a way that is not overly violent or graphic. Yeah. I also, a lot of times, will try to throw uh, monsters at the kids that, that there is no, like, moral uh, dilemma about yes. fighting, right? Yeah. Like, skeletons or, like, golems, clay golems, hmm. or, I don't know, even, like, bugs or something. And sometimes the kids are even like, but this is a bug, like, this is a living thing, like, should we? And I'm like, that's a great question, I love that you're considering that, even though this is a big monster bug, Mm -hmm. you know? But um, I think it's it's okay to throw those sorts of monsters at right. them at times. You need to throw them a bone and just let yeah. them do their fight moves and, and like you know crush some things. But I would just say most I, we tend to control the narrative more than the kids do. Gotcha. Right. I, I mean, we do you know ask them sometimes that that classic Matt Mercer like how do you see this happening? Right. Mm. Um, how you want to do this? How do you want to do this? That's what it is. <laughs> And, I mean, we ask those kids that a lot. And most of the time, they just go totally off the rails with it. And then we have, we have to basically <laughs> inter- interpret, like, okay, so I'm gathering most of what you're saying, and it sounds like you're doing this. Is that correct? Cool. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. You know, because otherwise, they'll be like, I go over here, and I do this backflip, and I slash these two guys, and then I run over here, and I stab this, and I do that. And, and, yeah. and you're like, okay, roll okay. once, and you're hitting one of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Choose, like, choose one. You can only choose one. one. Yeah. Back yeah. up. Yeah, I definitely do the same with with um, creatures that like uh, are are morally like totally okay to slash apart. Like yeah. I do a lot of oozes and skeletons and and robotic kind of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff with no discernible anatomy and is not intelligent. So it's mm-hmm. like if it's if it's a threat and you can't make friends with it, you know. But yeah, I, I think just don't totally describe a whole lot of blood. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you slash him with your sword, you know, and if it's, if it's a human person, I often like, or if it is a sentient person, I often like stress their like moral element of it and have them like look at them and be like, ah, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it like, it reminds them that this imaginary character is, is kind of like them, right? A lot of times I'll have them like squeal or like Mm -hmm. if they're animals or dragons or whatnot, that they'll like cry out in pain. pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that really like oftentimes put some moral element back in, into their heads of being like, oh yeah, I'm not just playing some video game that I'm just mm-hmm. killing like mm-hmm. an endless horde of, of kobolds or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the like classic trick of being like, yeah, there's like a bunch of like the kobolds are attacking you, but you can see like in the distance that they're protecting their like 
nest with their eggs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, wait, this is like more, who are the bad guys here? Yeah, right? <laughs> I inadvertently did that with my players. I, I felt like I had to come up with a reason why they were having a random encounter with an owlbear. So an owlbear shows up and I say, and you see off in the distance a little bit, there's a nest with eggs. And they're like, well, we can't kill her. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> I did this wrong. Mm-hmm. It does, yeah, it makes it morally complex. Yeah, you're like, no, this is totally a, a, like a mother mm-hmm. instead of it just being a monster. Yeah. Right? All right. So uh, while we're on the subject of combat, uh, just getting into this, uh, how do you guys run like tactical combat with them? Do you use minis? Do you use tokens? What is it that you do to make sure the kids know this is your character, yeah. these are the enemies, you have this many spaces until you can actually get to them. Yeah, it, it's super important. Uh, they need that like visual, tactile thing. They, um, yeah, really they, they, can't, they can't really handle theater of the, the mind for right. very long. Or if they do, they all got very different images in their, mm. in their heads, right? Um, so we use like just a simple, basically like 24 by 24 inch uh, chess X wet erase mat with markers. The one I got over there? <clears throat> yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, and, uh, and, and tokens, I use like one inch, uh, I think they're technically their Reaper mini one inch bases that you can like, you can like glue your own mini on top of it or something Mm -hmm. Um, but they're just simple plastic pieces that i then use like you know one inch stickers Mm -hmm. like you can get the sheet of the stickers in different colors and stuff and stick that on it and write their character name uh and and they they dig those they like having this is my character and this is my companion and you know i move up to here and i do this thing um we also have integrated a cool thing into our game uh which uh, the heroes guild rpg being powered by the apocalypse normally doesn't really get into like tactical much like that but but again finding that the kids needed that and that they really they love the tactile i think it actually helps them we we added uh what we're calling effect tags into our game so we have i think eight tags in total that basically describe think of them like um spell effect areas in D, mm-hmm. right so so we're like this is a uh, a burst is like one length away from my character and hitting like everybody in this area in like a small circle it's basically like a fireball yep right you know, or like an a arc, which is like one length away from my character hitting somebody and then one length away from them hitting somebody else, like chain light, right? And then we've got um, like whirl is hitting everyone next to me, right? So we basically broke those all down into, I think, seven or eight tags. And all of our like moves in the, in the fight box on our character sheet, which is which is like attack something, heal somebody, and uh, occupy someone. All of those use those effect tags. So mm-hmm. those characters can heal, attack, or occupy, which is like keep them busy without dealing damage. They can all do those in ways that are like dynamic and, and like interesting and different from one another rather than normally empowered by the apocalypse. It's like you succeed, right? Yeah. Or maybe it's like you do an extra damage, right? But they, they, don't, they don't have much for like any sort because they don't get into that tactile thing, but the kids really love it. And it helps to like really make the fight system more robust and like building out your character, you get to choose a style. So you're like, um, for example, like the Arcanist, the like wizard character, you're like, are you like a summer soul? Are you like a fire character? Or are you a winter soul? Winter, winter heart. Winter heart. Are you like the ice character? And so you're, if you're like the ice one, you're better at occupying people. So you're occupying them like you're occupying more people whenever you occupy. And the fire one is kind of more better at attacking. And, and better and at healing, healing because they cauterize. Yeah. So they're like a few, like those, those six or eight effect tags that we have, um, 
um, applying them in the same fashion to those different moves has been like a really cool way of making the characters feel very different from one another and more robust. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. You're you're like visualizing it when you're um, when you're the like grove keeper character, the druid who controls plants, and you're like. I'm using my like vine thing to like mm-hmm. occupy uh, in an arc, mm-hmm. and then you can see that where the vine is reaching out from the character and grabbing someone, and reaching out from them and grabbing someone else. Like you can you can see that mm-hmm. in an interesting way, as opposed to like you know the silver song putting people to sleep in an area in a burst area. Then you're like, okay, that's you know occupying them like that. Yeah. So and with rulers, with printable rulers. So right now they're just very simple, like in Photoshop with a you know simple whatever. The 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 length is like I think seven inches long and. Then circle you know and so we actually you know okay you're doing that spell like here you go like who's who are you hitting with it right mm-hmm. and those are all printable um so it's it's all inexpensive and, and i use the battle mats for a lot of situations that aren't even really a battle mm-hmm. i'll oftentimes do like kind of a uh like a platformy kind of situation where they're like moving across the battle mat um and like and dealing with cliffs and like and holes and stuff like that on the battle mats so they can see um the obstacles that they're overcoming along the way and it's like there's not really like a creature there that they're having to tactically in- interact with but the battle mat is used to create kind of the scene that they're like moving through yeah. in an interesting way and I I love to do this Josh is not going to do it and it ruins his markers certainly um, the Heroes Guild markers but I will uh, I will kind of like set the scene and do and draw out a, a like rough sketch of like the big pieces that I need to be there um, like for instance to get an example of like whether it's overhead or, or, or like isometric or whatever kind of view that we're dealing with mm-hmm. and then I uh, like systematically give a marker to every uh, player at the table and have them draw it all together right mm-hmm. draw the battle map together and I'm like okay green what color is green going to be and they're like okay it's going to be trees or whatever right so then I'm like you're drawing the trees you get the green marker and like mm-hmm. who gets you know blue is going to be what and they're like ah oh, maybe it's water or maybe it's mushrooms or whatever right mm-hmm. and then they like all work together to draw the the mat uh the situation and a lot of times they come up with just some crazy stuff that's going on where they're like this is like you know this is like the mushroom house over here where like the mushroom people live or whatever and then i find myself interjecting like in creating those mushroom people in the world right all right you want mike and it's here the mike and it's yeah they're they're here too and so they often like they they really get on board with that like element of like interjecting their own kind of voice mm-hmm. into the world and then having me pick it up and go with it. Um, and a lot of times it makes like great pictures too afterwards because they always just look so crazy. Mm-hmm. The like mats mm-hmm. that they draw up always look pretty nuts. Mm-hmm. So where did you guys start with Heroes Guild and where is it now? How have you grown over the I guess now? Almost three, two and a half years. years. Yeah, we just finished our fifth season, which is just wild. I mean, where it started was was a talk at at my table uh, and everybody agreeing to to be a part of it, and and then operating in the one location at the Shelby Community Center for an indefinite amount of time because we just didn't know at all what we were doing, and then and then you know learning a lot about what it meant to manage volunteers and and not asking too much from them and, and establishing a, a, a season that worked for us, which is three months on, three months off. Three months is not too awful of an amount of time for a GM to, like, commit to. Um, and, and have gone from, you know, just operating in the Shelby Community Center 
Now that game on the Wednesdays, we do every other, so every six months, right? We run for three months and we take three months off. So then every six months, we switch to a different community center, to Kirkpatrick Community Center, which is also in East Nashville, um, but is is like ultimately kind of in the projects and is serving um, more like at-risk youth. Some, yeah. Something that I love, the Shelby Community Center. Mr. Randy there has been incredible. Unfortunately, that is like deeper in the heart of East Nashville, which has been really heavily gentrified. Mm-hmm. And a big part of my program program from the beginning is that we are reaching kids that that need this message and that they all do right yeah. um, but like affluent white kids arguably probably need it less you know they they need they 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 have parents that are there for them that are like you know uh, explaining this morality to them all the time they don't have they're not coming from broken homes and and if i and i just knew that i had to be intentional about it right Right. i was dissatisfied with running a season there and not having a single minority that was a problem for me so i i reached out to other community centers and and um i'm i'm happy that that we've that kirkpatrick loves us there and that we've had them um some great a couple of great seasons at kirkpatrick and also we are operating in the um I had mentioned the Explore School, which is incredible. They've been so great. They're a charter school in East Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, we we uh, operate in their after-school program, which is on Fridays, which the parents like buy into, right? Mm-hmm. So we get paid for that, which is great. I'm a professional dungeon master. I uh, never thought I would be able to say that, but I do collect a paycheck off of it, a small one. But uh, And there we have three tables and like 18 kids at the other program. We have like around 40 kids. And altogether, we've worked with hundreds of kids in the Nashville area. Um, and, and, and I mean, the other big thing, which obviously we've been stating here, but the other big thing was it started as just a volunteer program. Um, and at some point, we realized that we were on to something important and that we needed to make a game. That would that would go hand in hand with the program. That if if everything goes great, and then however many years that it's grown, that that game will be an important part of also growing the program and getting it into more places. If we can package it and mm-hmm. and, and put it into a parent's hands who's never played a role playing game before, and pick it up and comprehend it and run it for their kids, mm-hmm. like that's the goal of it. So um, yeah, what where it's come from was just an idea, and where it is now is a, a fully functioning game that's been play tested for thousands of hours, been played by hundreds of kids um, and, and we've had um, kids who had nightmares who overcame their nightmares because they were played in the Heroes Guild and parents like telling us this and, and crying um, I had uh, in this most recent season I mean maybe the most the, the moment that has moved me the most of any was a, a, a parent whose um, son is mildly autistic particularly doesn't express emotion really easily um, certainly feels all the full ranges of emotion but yep. just doesn't, doesn't express express them well mm-hmm. uh, and and he he was at my table and he seemed like he was enjoying himself and after the first session when he stepped out and his parents asked him how it was his mom the next day came into the coffee shop and with tears in her eyes told me that that he looked at her and smiled and 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 told her that he had so much fun and that she that he expressed the most joy that he ever had in his entire life this is his mother telling me this right like if anybody knows the, the the spectrum of this child's joy, it's his mother. Right. He had the most fun that he's ever had at one of my tables. And, like, I almost can't tell that without, like, getting teary myself because 
I mean, it, it's not just about having fun, right? It's about yeah. capturing their imagination and, and then taking them along for a journey and and, um, and, and teaching them something along the way. And, and really, I, I jokingly call it learntertainment, you know, because <laughs> yeah. they, they maybe don't even really follow that they're learning all this stuff right. the whole time. And maybe in some ways that's kind of the best is when they're, they just think they're having a good time, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I went on a rant about this uh, several episodes ago. I didn't have a guest because I just found out that I'm now doing this podcast weekly. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had to fill a spot quickly. Yeah, I had, yeah. To, I had to fill a spot. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a guest booked. And I just kind of got into how D&D has helped me as a person, how it helped my friends. And it's it's really great to see guys like yourselves who've been involved with this hobby for a long time now showing kids who don't often get to play D&D because it's, it's usually viewed as like an adult game. Mm-hmm. And it's complicated. Yeah, it's, it's complicated. It's hard. Uh, a lot of parents don't even think, hey, let's try this. Because, again, it's, it's D&D. But, yeah, it's not, I would say it's not possible. Right, yeah. But you're showing these, these kids how to, be, how to be heroes. And using this great, powerful game that we all have, showing them how to be better people. Mm-hmm. And, honestly, I just have to take my hat off to you guys. <laughs> it's, this is fantastic. I've, it's the first I've heard of anything like this. You guys are doing great work. Man, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's, I mean, it's been rewarding. I, I feel like, like, oh, I don't know. When, when, when things are meant to be, like the, um, the, the world, like answers, um, it's, it's just, it's just had so much momentum behind it from day one and so much excitement. I'm, I'm humbled by it like constantly um and and i'm just i'm i'm so happy to be a part of it and i i just can't help but immediately um like turn to my game masters and my best friends who to me have made it entirely possible because before then it was just a pipe dream right you know and it might have only ever just been me running a game for a group of six people um you know these these guys keith and and all of them coming in and dedicating their time week after week is that that to me is is what it really means to be a hero is to sacrifice and i asked my friends to sacrifice for people that they didn't know for kids um and 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 they did and and that's what we need for the world to be better is just more people to be willing to sacrifice to look past their own needs and look towards other people's maybe we just needed a courageous leader to (laughs) i just have always hated the idea of being a leader it's hilarious I, I like try to turn it away at every at every turn, but I but maybe I think I don't know. Sometimes being a leader is maybe being inspirational and having like the speech or whatever. Um, I think in the truest sense of the word, being a leader is just taking the first step. Well, we're pretty much at the end of this interview. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about with you guys. Uh, firstly, for any of our listeners who are in the Middle Tennessee area and have the time to volunteer, what kind of volunteers are you guys looking for? Are you looking for volunteers at this point? Yeah. I mean, I would say always we're looking for volunteers. Um, the, the, the most ideal volunteer is one that can um, dedicate to run a table because then we can say, yes, we can take like six more kids this program right mm-hmm. um the in general we operate uh after schools so sometime around like three or or three thirty um to like around five or five thirty uh a couple programs are, are slightly different from one another but uh it is unfortunately in that in that after school time when most people are not available so that's right. the big thing is being available at the right time of the day and, and being willing if you're those two things we will take mm-hmm. and and we will 
we will like train you to do as much as as like you are comfortable with. We've had a couple folks that have come on and have never run a table and have just helped like take attendance, help that kid when they were having a problem, whatever. And that is a huge help in itself. Just having somebody else there that you can be like, hey, like this kid's flipping out. Can you take them aside and like work with them while I continue to run the table? Um, you know, any and all volunteers. And really, I just say to people, if they're interested at all, like, if you want to be involved in some way, we'll figure out a way for you to be involved. Uh, just hit me up. We're at theheroesguild.com and they can contact me through the website or through Facebook at the, and the Heroes Guild. Heroes Guild TN, I think it is on Facebook or Instagram. Um, hit me up through any of those places and just ask me if, if we can meet and then we'll do it from there. And last thing, uh, this is an opportunity for you guys, uh, social media, websites, places where people can donate and support. Any of that that you want to throw out there, go ahead. you got a live mic in front of you. I'll start. Um, uh, well, and another great way to uh, contribute is that the Heroes Guild has a Patreon. That is the main uh, like way that I help to like source the money so that it's not all coming out of my own pocket. Uh, so our Patreon is... Uh, Patreon.com slash the Heroes Guild. Uh, you can find us at um, Instagram. Material Components is our Instagram handle. Um, Keith and I both kind of curate that page, and that is our like Wednesday and Friday groups. Um, we we stream on Twitch. Right now we're streaming on Fridays. It, I don't know when this episode will come out. Probably not in enough time, but you could also find uh, the Expedition Dracona, the story that we've talked about. Uh, some tonight on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel with all of our games up on it. Mm -hmm. What else am I forgetting? Inglewood Armory is my handle on um, on Instagram. Uh, that's Josh Inglewood Armory. Um, that's all that I'm thinking of right yeah. now. Yeah, Material Components on on Twitter is M Components. Thank you. Um, and you can find us at MaterialComponents.com. Uh, and that's that's kind of the handle that we're using as the like publication arm of things when the Heroes Guild RPG comes comes out as a publication it will be material components that that is the publisher mm -hmm. um and yeah we're doing doing the streaming on twitch uh and i've been uh in order to get kind of tangled into the uh tabletop role-playing game community at large i've been streaming on a lot of uh different other channels uh on twitch so i've been playing uh all kinds of tabletop role-playing games and getting tangled in and all of them which has been great um so you can find me streaming all over the place but yeah the best way to to follow any of that activity would be on on, on Twitter. Um, but you can also follow me at, at Keith R. Potempa. Uh, <laughs> it's a long Polish name, but, um, but yeah, you can, you can check me out. Uh, under that alias, I'm an author and educator of, uh, uh, science fiction and fantasy. So, uh, teach uh teach classes in the Nashville area for, uh, creative writing. And yeah, that's that's my other jam. I tell stories in every medium possible. Is <laughs> <laughs> my passion. So yep. gotcha. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming out here. Thank you for coming to my house. Uh, thank you for wonderful doing this interview. Uh, this has been one of the best interviews that we've had on the show. This is a great thing hey, that you guys are doing. You say that to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it this time. Yeah, I'm going to be listening next week to see if you say that. <laughs> we'll see if I say that to Shane Hensley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but yeah, this is... 
it's a great thing that you're doing. Uh, guys, if you're in the Middle Tennessee area and you have this time, please help these guys out. If you're not or you don't have the time, like I said, their, their Patreon is there. We're, we're ready to expand to other states. If you're in another state and you want to run the Heroes Guild, we can make that happen. If you are dedicated, we'll make it happen. Absolutely. So that is going to be it for this time. Uh, like I said, next episode, uh, we have the creator of Deadlands himself, Shane Lacey Hensley, is going to be on the show. Awesome. It's going to so be cool. a ton of fun. I've actually been at one of his tables before. So we'll see if he actually remembers me. Probably won't. <laughs> Probably run a lot of games in his day. Absolutely. Undoubtedly. So, yeah, until next time, uh, remember to keep your lucky dice separate from your unlucky dice. And, uh, yeah, see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us on Anchor.fm or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to shout at me on social media, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. And if you like miniatures and miniature painting, you can see all the work that I do on my Instagram, which is at Fenderboy771. Our theme song for Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard is Rumblin' by Trey Van Zant, who you can find at youtube.com slash C slash Trey Van Zant, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Thank you so very much, and have a great day.